Welcome to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. This podcast started with me just kind of interviewing my friends, and now we're at a point where I'm interviewing people who inspire me. Every week you are going to hear how someone else identifies with the feeling of not fitting in and success. So let's just hop into the episode and thank you for all of your continued support. Hey weirdos, I want to share something with you I've been doing for a couple of months now. It is called Forbidden Bingo with my friend, DJ Rockstar Aaron. We are both from Denver. Uh, Great human. Something that they put on virtually out of the kindness of their heart every week. And I'm just going to start by saying it's 18 plus, just so you know. Um, but it's Forbidden Bingo. Forbidden Bingo is so much fun. You can play it in person if you live in Colorado or if it plays other places, or you can play it virtually online every Thursday at 7 p.m. Pacific. Wow, I'm bad at time zones. But you know what? Just go to ForbiddenBingo.com, grab your tickets, and tell DJ Rockstar Aaron and Rich and all the other people that are playing that I sent you. That's ForbiddenBingo.com and unofficially, officially sponsors this podcast. This week's Red Friday Military Spotlight episode features Maureen. Maureen is an author, a matriarchy advocate. You're going to hear all about it in the episode. I'll let her do the explaining, but I'm really excited to share that, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. And um, send me some feedback and let me know if you've been enjoying this cadence of uh, basically letting go of my content. And uh, some really great things are coming down the track, coming down the line. And I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support. It means the world to me. Please enjoy Maureen's interview. And as always, go to pleasedon'tkickmeout.com to send me your pitches for sponsorship, collaboration, et cetera, et cetera. Enjoy. Hey, how's it going? I'm great. How are you, Bianca? I am doing awesome because at the time of recording this, Disneyland opens tomorrow and I get to go. So Yay. I'm excited. I know. <laughs> It's been a million years. I mean, I know the pandemic's not over. I'd have to wear a mask, but I am so here for it. Okay, listeners, you know the drill. It is Please Don't Kick Me Out, the podcast about imposter syndrome. And the lovely voice you're hearing on the other end is Maureen. Maureen, would you like to give your elevator pitch, who you are, what you do, et cetera? Yeah. So my name is Maureen Divine All, and I'm so thrilled to be spending time with you. Thank you. Um, I wear a, a few different hats. So I have my own company. It's called Candor and Company. I do coaching and consulting for change makers. And that's just built on, I've had a career almost 20 years long in the nonprofit sector, focusing on, you know, fundraising, on driving mission strategy, on leadership strategies, board strategies, all of it. Like my heart is in communities and helping communities. Um, And then I'm excited because we're going to talk about this a little bit today. I'm newly a published author. Um, So my book is called How to Make the Matriarchy, the Power and Promise of Prioritizing Women. Um, And that was a journey I took myself on over the last couple of years, really just to explore a curiosity about what's going on with gender equality in the world and 
um, yeah. it's been interesting to see how it's it's shifted my work and my perspective. Yeah. I, lo I love that. I love people who stand up when they see injustice and want to make a change. And I'm very much that way, which is actually kind of how we met. Um, you had listened to a, either my podcast or podcast that I was on. Um, was it Callie's or was it mine? I think I listened to yours. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So I was on a podcast with Callie called Call to Marriage and she was also on my podcast, Callie Meredith. She's lovely. She's great. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. Um, I was also on another podcast called the American Male Spouse Re recently as well. And she was on mine as well. Um, right. And so, you know, you were, you reached out to me um, and I, I appreciated it, even though I'm like so stressed out getting ready to move and you know it because you are a <laughs> former military spouse. Um, understanding the commitment to military spouses, which I like the premise of your book because make the matriarchy making sure you're prioritizing women. That is exactly how I feel in the spousal community because I come from a 10 year career of marketing um, background. And now I do this, but I'm, and I'm very loud and I don't shut up, but um, my whole <laughs> thing good. is, my whole thing is like, I don't like the mentality of the quote unquote dependa. I don't like the mentality of, of just kind of like, you know, not advocating for yourself, but I also don't like how underserved the military community is. So I, I, I'm glad that I have you on the podcast to kind of help under, help my listeners kind of understand what that's like. Cause I talk about it quite a bit and I am quite vulnerable about it. Um, but I definitely have felt like I've been other than in the workforce because of my husband being, you know, a military officer. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm so glad to talk with you and like this could be like a two hour recording on all those subjects, but yeah. I, I do think that that's where, I mean, there's a, there was a specific incident that really kicked me off on this journey that actually mm -hmm. happened with my daughter. But as I unpacked the topic, I unpacked, you know, power and gender-based violence and women in leadership mm -hmm. and dependency. Mm -hmm. And there were so many moments, I mean, yeah. there's like literally a sentence in the book where I talk about dependency and I'm basically like, and PS in the military culture, they literally remind you of your dependency every time you fill out a form, every time you call mm -hmm. and they ask mm -hmm. you, are you a dependent? Every time like to your face, you're waiting in line for something where they're like, are you active duty or dependent? And it just um, really- It's the word, me. it's the it's, word. It's the, the word, word sucks. Yeah, it yeah. sucks, but it also shows you know, I mean, they know you by your spouse's social security number. <laughs> yeah. Like when you're doing something insurance wise. Okay. So that's, this happened to me when I went and got my uh, COVID shot, actually more, the most recent instance I can think of. And so, um, they asked me, uh, for his, for his social security. And I was like, ah, shit. Yeah. Is that? I gotta pull it up. I, and the fact that I don't have it memorized, I have mine memorized, but I don't have his memorized. And then I'm thinking, you know, okay, great. <laughs> I gotta find it. And I have it in a little note on my phone, which is probably not very safe, but thankfully I had it and I was telling her about it. And then, and then like the cashier, she happened to be a military spouse and she's like, don't you hate that? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I absolutely hate it. I was like, you know, because, because I know that it's underneath him and he, it, you know, sometimes it's not always a man. Sometimes it's, if, you know, same sex marriage or, or what have you, or sometimes it's right. a, a female, um, female in the military and the male. Um, but even so, I mean, I, I, I appreciate all of the things that come from being a military spouse and I've learned to appreciate them. I mean, this command definitely tried me, uh, <laughs> for sure, but this is only our first, um, first, our first sea duty and our only sea duty because my husband's a Mustang. So he's getting out within five years. So nice. Thankfully, he's like, he's like, it's not a day over 20 for me. I'm out of here. Uh, so, uh, so I, I've, I've kind of, you know, kind of learned things um, as I've gone and I've never really had much, uh, much 
uh, interaction with uh, enlisted spouses until a C command. And, you know, it's, it's just interesting kind of how they serve and, and how everyone's journey is different as a military spouse, but the camaraderie in the community has been really helpful for me. But uh, I will say that um, uh, every time the climate survey comes out for work, I will always, um, I will always take it because I, I believe in my heart of hearts that unfortunately we could be doing more for our spouses and we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I will never forget getting laid off at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was actually because I asked for my value um, and he, he said, I could pay you more, but it's really just not going to, you're not, it's not going to make you happy. And then ultimately the pandemic happened. So it kind of was convenient. I was able to collect unemployment from it. But as I'm walking out the door, my old boss says, you know, and I just, as a mil, I guess he just didn't realize that military spouses, like we have to move every two years. Mm-hmm. And because I'm near Balboa, um, if I'm not EFMP cat, whatever, I, it doesn't make sense for us to stay in San Diego. It's actually really hard to get a follow on tour in San Diego. Um, for my listeners, what that means is staying in the same duty station twice. Um, and we did have the option to stay in San Diego, but it was more um, career flatline than it would have been career advancement. And when you're an officer, you have to promote or get out. Like there's no, um, there's no other way. Although in his community, it's so small that he doesn't have to do that. Um, he can actually stay in the lieutenant rate at this point because the retention is so low and the jobs are so lucrative for what he does outside mm-hmm. of it that people don't stay in for the benefits of the 20, but we're so close. So we might as well stay in. But anyway, yeah. my, my uh, boss says to me, he goes, you know, I, well, I, I mean, you weren't really permanent anyway, were you? And it's like, mm. okay, first of all, F you, like that's yeah. that's not what I wanna hear on the way out my door. I'm already devastated that you got, let go of me after I told you like, this is like a family to me. Like my husband's about to deploy. Like I really kind of need to throw myself into this job. I didn't know what I didn't know. And we didn't know the pandemic was happening as it was. Right. Um, but at the same time that lit a fire under my ass because I realized that that is how I'm going to be seen if I try to go back into an office as impermanent. And I had a really great conversation. My, my captain's wife called me. Um, I was really struggling with sea duty. I was really struggling with the underways and the time apart in a pandemic. I'd never been alone this long. We've been together for four years and it was just, it was all, it was all a lot at once and they were out to sea and they couldn't come back. And it was just, it was just very overwhelming time. And she called me and she said, you know, she's a nurse, she, her background's in nursing. And she had just had a, I think she had just had her baby at this point, um, her third child. And she says to me, she goes, here's what I've learned in my career. And as a military spouse, my impermanence is my superpower. I will work harder, blaze up a further trail, and I will do my best job for those two or three years that I am somewhere. And and she's like, so the next time that comes up in a job interview, champion it. And if they don't want that, then don't work for them. Yeah. And I was like, that was the best advice. So I give that advice all the time because it's very important that, that military spouses or the military community or even women know that you know, there is value in being you. And I've had a pretty rough go of it in my career. I feel like I've constantly seen men around me achieve more. And the reasoning I feel is because um, their confidence and also like no one tells them no. Like if you ask for a raise as a woman, it's very easy to basically backtrack it and then be like, oh, well, like I'll take this just in case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was part of why I reached out to you. I mean, all, yes, to all of that. I loved the the concept of your podcast, which is please don't kick me out and wrestling with yeah. imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I mean, everything you just described, I think, you know, the, the military spouse mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. starts to like mess with your brain because yeah. 
you are having these internal conversations about like, how much do I give away in a job interview? Do I reveal that I'm a military spouse and that, um, you know, that we might only be here two years, that today, (laughs) that the day you hire me, I know in two years from now, I'm going to quit this job, no matter how well things are going. Like, do you reveal that and own it and hope it lands? Or do you carry it tucked away? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Which feels like, you know, giving up a part mm-hmm. of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I really do think this all rolls up potentially over the long run to this imposter yeah. syndrome where you're yeah. like, do I belong here? Should I go right. for this job? Right. Should I work? Should I be, you know, should I, should I, should I, should I, should I? And then of course, you know, there's the saying that I think is kind of true is like, if the military wanted you to have a spouse and kids, they would issue you one. And sometimes it, <laughs> really feels that way where yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, oof, it, yeah. it feels like you know you're scrapping for yourself and there's only yeah. so much you can do under your own roof to you know to ask yourself exactly you exactly and to keep on that topic um yeah and, and also um I will, I will say this as well it's also as a person who is actively choosing not to have children and won't reverse that mindset uh, my husband mm-hmm. and will, will be getting a vasectomy um that is 100 <laughs> percent I'll still stay on birth control because I need to be on the hormones, but you know, I just never wanted children. And, um, you know, I've had spouses always be like, Oh, like, you know, like, you know, you're gonna change your mind. You're gonna change your mind. Well, I'm 32. I'm going to be 32 this year. And no, I won't. And I love children. I just love to give them back, but whatever. And I also feel like sometimes preferential treatment is given towards those who have children versus those who don't. And I've seen it at this command. And I, I know it's not really true because yes, the military will issue you a spouse plus a child and a career. Um, they can't, they don't care about you. You're, you're dependent. Um, and so, but an example of this is my husband felt kind of discriminated against when other people around him who were on the ship less time and, or had completed their career or, and, or didn't have their replacement there were leaving. And he said, well, I, this next exercise we're doing, I don't really have much to do. My guys are all taken care of. Everything's pretty much wrapped up. And, uh, I think, you know, I'm seeing everyone around me leave. Is there a reason you're holding me? So I can't go to see my wife who's getting ready to like, you know, get ready to move 20 days after we're supposed to get back. Mm-hmm. And he's, and that guy was like, eh, like it's optics, you know, I'm going to keep you back. Plus, you know, your wife seems to be handling it real great. So, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, um, you know, like some of these guys are having kids and one of the people, it was like, I don't know, like their fifth kid or something. And they flew him so he could be there for the birth, but she's due one month after we get back. Mm-hmm. So it's, so Scott was like, you know, hell, I feel like I'm being, he's like, I feel like because I didn't get you pregnant that, <laughs> that I'm being, and I said, honestly, just don't, don't push it, babe. Just like, I was just ride the ship, put your head down, get home. I don't even, I don't want to hear it anymore. You know, would it have been nice? No, it would have been inconvenient for him to come home early, but regardless, you know, I sometimes feel like there is more preferential treatment given like based on, oh, is it new dads get off the ship first? And I understand why it happens and I'm not upset about it. I understand it. It makes sense. But at the same time too, there's a lot of people who miss the birth of their children because they're deployed. The military really doesn't care about you at the end of the day. Um, And that's very well aware. And it especially doesn't care about its spouses. And I've learned that very well this, this command but um you know 
being a military spouse is only one facet of who I am. I'm also a social injustice activist. I very much speak up for little people uh, that can't have the voice. I'm a huge LGBTQIA plus advocate and ally. Um, the greatest compliment I've ever been given from a gay man to me was that I'm a gay man in a woman's body, um, which is very <laughs> much true. And I'm fanatical about certain things. So I'm not the typical military spouse. And it's not normal always to have a career. And so I, I like that you know, even though your book doesn't focus on military, it's just probably one part of it. It still is teaching people that it's okay as a woman to advocate outside of your marriage and to have your own thing. Um, yeah. Because my husband is a champion of me. I always say he has a foam finger. He loves me. He's always loved me. The way I am wouldn't change a thing about me except for my last name, uh, which is his now. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's been he's basically given me a platform to allow me to have this as content creation and what I'm doing. I don't know where it's going, but I know it's going somewhere when I have conversations with people like you and I'm talking about something that matters. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love how you said that too. Like being a military spouse is only a very small part of who oh, yeah. we are. And, but what's interesting is you were talking sort of about, you know, your husband feeling discriminated against for lack of a better word because he didn't he he wasn't a caregiver like that that plays out in the rest of society too and that's what I oh yeah part absolutely. Of the book examining absolutely is like the economic empowerment of mm -hmm. women um you know obviously it takes a harder hit on women women yeah. fall behind in the workplace they fall behind in earnings they fall behind economically um, more and more for each child that's born but it does also track for dads too it's not as steep oh, yeah. but um, I think, you know, one of the stats that I put in the book is that, you know, 10 years after the birth of a child, like the wage loss of wages still persists for women by up to 40%. But then, mm -hmm. you know, it does loss of wages for dads in the workplace, as opposed to, um, you know, guys without children, um, their, their wages still lag 10 years later too. It's by a much smaller yeah. percentage yeah. or 4%. Yeah. So, I mean, we have a, we have a caregiver bias problem in all of our workplaces. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, I talk about it, there's this phenomenon out there, it's called the ideal worker. And, mm -hmm. um, I, <laughs> I, there's a paragraph actually from somebody else's book that I put in the book that if I read it to you, I think your heart would probably sink because it felt like it described my husband perfectly when his career was on fire and he was advancing and he was available for everything. He could say yes to everything, you know, caregiving was mm -hmm. fully on my back with our young daughter. And that's, you know, that was what his workplace was demanding and expecting. Yeah. Um, and it, it's called this ideal worker phenomenon. You can say yes to everything because somebody else is taking care of all the other stuff that makes a life and a household run. Um, and yeah. I talk a lot about us really needing to blow up that bias in workplaces, because even if we don't know that we have it intentionally, it, it does cloud I mean, your, your work experience, it's probably there too. It clouds our judgment as supervisors as to what we think ideal work is. And, and then by extension, what we think an ideal worker is. And it's, yeah. it's not somebody who needs accommodations or who's going to have to leave, exactly. or it's really going to cause you any pain. It's the least painless. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's the biggest win for our company, which is just not true and it's not yeah. reflective of the diversity we should be yeah. striving for in our workplaces. 
Oh, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I'm, I'm very wary to go back into a workplace environment. Well, one, I feel like I'm too, I talk too much of like RuPaul's Drag Race, I think now to be professional and I don't really care. And also I'm not everyone's cup of tea and that's fine. I, I can find what's meant. I think, I think that I'm always going to do marketing, but I'm never going to go back into an office. And the pandemic has taught me a lot about myself. And, and if anything, it's like getting laid off for me and stopping my career and starting this podcast and moving on in my life and, and getting to, to have all these beautiful conversations. I've always known I was destined for more than just sitting behind a desk. Yeah. And I, my husband's known this about me. I, my, my, my mom knows this about me. Like I'm very much um, an advocate and an ally for things. And so um, I love that you have written this book. I think, uh, I think it's very important. I think it's important for women to realize that, um, that, well, I mean, there's so many books out there that say it's unfair. Like we get it. It's unfair. Yeah. However, like, you know, if you want like, it's so it's it's not 1950 anymore where you have yeah. to be the one cooking cleaning and having all of that not to mention the idea of second shift when you come home yep. and have to do all of the work when you get back and that used to annoy me with my husband because like he would be so stressed at his job he'd come home because this this command and the sea duties thing has, was very hard for him yeah. um yep. this one this ship in particular just was just interesting um and he would be stressed and you know basically instead of doing the things that would help me, I would come home and be immediately annoyed. There's still dishes. Okay. Yep. The dog hasn't gone outside. You didn't feed the dog. Like these things that I really was him just trying to de-stress. He didn't want to add more stress to it. And me getting home and being like my, my, my neurotic, my neuroses being like, I need to do these dishes. And he'd be like, he, he would annoy him and be like, I just want you to stop. You're always mad when you come home. Yeah. And I think it was to some degree the second shift, but to the other degree that I was doing something I didn't believe in. And I was yeah. sick of putting on a mask at work when really it wasn't me. Um, so I'm grateful for the gift of being laid off the pandemic and all the time that I've been able to spend. And you you did touch on something with uh, diagnoses and accommodations. Um, I was diagnosed with adult ADHD um, that last year and it changed my life really truly made so much sense and so women also if we're going to be talking about you know women and, and the unfairness um also a lot of women who are neurodivergent to some degree are not diagnosed until far later in their life because um it's easier to figure it out with men or boys than it is for women um and so uh, i have a lot of friends that are females that found out uh, at you know, 39 or 42 or whatever, that they're, they have autism and mm -hmm. didn't know it. And they, all of a sudden their life makes sense because it's a yeah. certain neurodivergence. Um, so yeah, you're right. Like, uh, I, I would feel uncomfortable as a woman saying I need accommodations for my ADHD. I don't, I take medication yeah. and I'm fine. Um, but there are some people who have it worse than me because there's varying degrees of it and that really do need those accommodations. And then when you ask for those accommodations, suddenly you're out of the running. Yeah. And you're taken from that pool of people. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, and something that's interesting to me as you're talking that I think was really important for me in writing this book was I think so many women sit, you know, with themselves or maybe with a very small, you know, group of people who know and feel like we need to tackle this struggle. Like it's something about us. It's something you know, I've got to work harder. I've got to try harder. I've got to tackle my neuroses about dishes being done as soon as we get home from work. Like me, 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 this is my problem to solve. And what I really did in the book was just like look around the world and be like, 
who has closed their gender gaps and what's the secret sauce? Like, mm -hmm. is this women working harder? Is this whatever? And, and no, I mean, nine times out of 10, it's, it's building systems or breaking down systems, um, you know, that, that put us in these positions. So even as you mentioned, like women are less likely um, to be diagnosed with things until later in life. Like, yes, that is true. That's not a failing of any individual woman for not speaking up about symptoms or not going to the mm -hmm. right doctor or not going to the doctor at all. Like <laughs> women and men are not treated the same in no, our health system. No. It's much better today than it used to be. But I mean, I was shocked to find that um, women weren't really included in clinical trials until 1993. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's, my lifetime that happened in my lifetime. And that was, you know, a change on uh, the FDA issued, you know, originally they were like, well, we're not going to test drugs on women because we don't want to, you know, mess with their ability to bear children. But then what that means is you've got a whole bunch of drug research that really doesn't have any evidence about how these drugs impact women's bodies, which means they're probably prescribed less. So, so I share all that to say that is a big part of my message is like, yeah for all the women who are struggling and who are thinking they need to work harder or they need to find a better employer or like anything that makes it feel like it's your responsibility to like figure out how to how to be more equal or create yeah. more equality. There's so much more going on with systems around us yeah. um, that, yeah. that we need to work on. Yeah, and before we go into the questions and the topic at hand, which is of course imposter syndrome, um, I want to say another thing uh, about corporations and working and workforce environment, workplace environments. There's a lot of ally theater. Mm. So when things come up, okay, we've got we've had sexual harassment or we've had um, we've had uh, discrimination of some variety, and then like like especially if you're working at a Fortune 500 company, which I was, there's a lot of ally theater. Oh yeah, oh yeah, mm -hmm. we are a company that cares. We want to listen. We want to care. Blah blah blah, and really when companies do that, it's just band-aiding the situation and they don't actually fix it. Mm -hmm. And so this ally theater or this, you know, um, you know, basically saying, or this um, social justice theater um, mm -hmm. really is just a way for them to save face. And like, look, we had a seminar about it mm -hmm. and it's fixed. It's like, no, it's not fixed. It's not fixed. Yeah. And so I, I love this book concept. I think it's amazing. Um, but I now want to switch gears and talk about um, imposter syndrome. So let's start with the first question, which is, do well, you let feel me, like- Can I oh, just, yes. on that point you mentioned there, um, I would love to point you to, so I believe McKinsey does an annual women in the workplace uh -huh. survey. And they, I was just on a webinar where um, they were presenting the 2020 data. And there was actually a question about, well, there was a series of questions about allyship in the, work, in the workplace. And um, it's relevant to what you just said, because there's a question that was like, do you consider yourself an ally? And it was like, you know, like 85% of respondents said yes. And then there's a series of questions that asked about actual active allyship behaviors. So it was like, do you do this? Do you do this? Do you do this? Do you speak up in meetings? Do you say something when you see something? You know, yada, yada, yada. And the response rates for those were much lower. So what they found was like lots of people think they're allies are quick to answer like, yep, I'm an ally. I am there for everybody, my coworkers. But when it mm. comes to being an active ally, there was like very little data to support, you know, actions they were taking routinely. 
um, which I think is such valuable data to be collecting to give us that insight so that people can go, okay, this isn't just about saying, yes, I'm an ally. It's about figuring out what, what is active allyship and what are my steps to, to back that up. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. And I'm, I'd be curious to see the data, but yeah, that's so true. Okay. So like I can maybe count on my hand, like the number of brands that actually do put the work behind what they say. Um, one brand in particular is Peloton. I've had a Peloton for three years. Um, and not only do they put money behind it, but they systemically break whatever notions they have. And when they say that they are something and something doesn't align with them, they remove it and then they apologize for it and they accept and then they try to educate. So um, th that is the kind of brand and company I want to work for in the future. I don't want to hitch my wagon to any kind of company that is like, oh yeah, we're going to help with the women. No, like yeah. I've worked at enough places where a blue pen or a Kindle at the end of the year doesn't make up for not getting paid adequately. Yeah. So I, I feel you there and I understand. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to start with the first question, which is, do you okay. feel like you have it all figured out? <laughs> uh, you know, like some days, I, I do, but I think that that's like a, um, that's like an intentional choice to actually mm -hmm. battle my imposter syndrome. That is obviously like hanging out in the back of my head going like, no, you don't, you don't got this. Um, and I've learned that like, it's a muscle to flex, yeah. um, to be present and to, to like, literally sitting here right here with you right now, Bianca, I have it all figured out because we're yeah. here, we're yeah. talking, we're having a meaningful conversation. And I'm doing the best I can do in this moment. So when I like actively flex that muscle and go, yes, like I am enough right now. I haven't mm -hmm. figured out I'm mm -hmm. here. I'm breathing. Great. Um, but of course, like, I mean, look, especially writing the book when <laughs> talk about imposter syndrome, diving into a really heavy, huge topic as a novice yeah. Yeah. Um, and going, all right, I'm going to write these words. I'm going to write these thoughts. And then I'm also going to publish it and ask other people <laughs> to read it. <laughs> Ooh, no, that's scary. We don't do that here. <laughs> yeah. and, right. I definitely had moments on the journey where I was like, nope, this is not happening because I do not have this figured out and I'm going to look like a fool. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So sometimes yes, sometimes no, but I'm okay with that. That's, that's a great answer because usually people are like, no. And then I'm like, well, I have this theory that if you um, are in my Zoom call and you say yes, uh, I think you're in the wrong one, sir or ma'am, you need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, let's talk about imposter syndrome and, and, and kind of that. I've, I've definitely felt imposter syndrome about a podcast about imposter syndrome, pot calling the kettle black. Like mm -hmm. I felt it before I released it. I was like, okay, well, like if one person listens to it, like then maybe, you know, it, but nine people listen to it. I don't know if that's enough. Uh, oh, I'm just going to delete it. <laughs> and uh, no, no, the response has been good. I mean, and then, you know, do I feel imposter syndrome when people who have just started out podcasting um, a week or two ago are doing better than me? Yeah, I kind of hate that because I literally put my blood, sweat and tears into this thing. It's my baby. It's my portfolio. It's my pandemic. It's my pandemic um, positivity. Uh, however, um, at the same time, I have to always not compare myself to others because it's just not worth it. I'm doing me, you do you. Um, so yeah, I like that you're, I like that you were like able to get out of your own way and writing the book and of course publishing it. So let's talk about imposter syndrome. Do you feel like you fit in or suffer from imposter syndrome in what ways and what does imposter syndrome mean to you? Yeah. So yes, absolutely. It, you know, kind of, as I mentioned in that last question on my best days, I check it out the window and tame it, but just like everybody else when faced with 
hard things and hard situations, I certainly like fall back and go, do I really belong here? Do I really know what I'm doing? But, um, you know, I read something interesting recently that kind of shifted my perspective too, that, you know, I think women suffer from imposter syndrome far more than men do. You know, there's that whole statistic out there that like guys will apply for a job if they meet if they think they meet 60% of the required qualifications and women won't apply for a job until they think they meet 100% of the qualifications. And when I look at it through the lens of my writing experience and now what I believe about actually tackling gender equality, you know, part of me thinks we need to just say imposter syndrome is is a thing created. It's a, it's a tool of power and if we stop giving it power and we just say, well that's not real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not real. That's not a syndrome. That's a that's a thing you want me to believe is a syndrome that I'm suffering from so that I sit back so that I yeah. do get scared and I don't speak up and I don't lean in. So that's kind of the new lens I'm I'm looking uh, at yeah. syndrome through and that's what it means to me now. Like maybe it's a, a tool of systems of power. And if I don't give it power anymore, then maybe we can make it go away. Yeah, similar. Well, similarly, so this this day has been kind of interesting because um, normally on Thursdays I have therapy at four p.m. and uh, today I'm going to because my my in laws live like right next to Disneyland and I wanted to be at rope drop because I'm that crazy about Disney um, <laughs> that and I've just I'm moving and it's a whole as you know moving and it's a whole thing and as a military spouse you gotta like you gotta do be selfish for yourself sometimes. However, yeah. in this last week I've been dealing with a lot of guilt about taking time for myself and putting up boundaries and my and a feeling of men's guilt about going to Disneyland by myself. Mm. And my therapist was like, well, where do you think that's coming from? And like, why are you telling yourself that? Like, imagine if you told that negative thought that it's okay to know, like just say, tell it no. What if you start yeah. using that as a tool um, and then maybe like talk to yourself throughout the day, give that voice name a voice. But it's interesting because it's like, I've always told myself I don't deserve it. It's no, it's, you know, this is not, you know, and I'm always trying to seek validation, like, um, I think a lot more since my husband's deployed and he, he, you know, when he's in port call, he'll try and download an episode or something and he'll be like, Oh, oh gosh, like I, it's not working. And then, you know, um, I, I crave knowing that this is going in the right direction because I can't tell myself things that are positive. So I've really worked in the last year to try and, to try and come to silence that. However, I, it still rears its ugly head when I, when I, as a woman do something for myself, yeah. do something selfish, quote unquote, for myself. Um, and so, uh, I, I can totally relate to what you were saying. Definitely. Because, um, I think I know it's more than a woman thing, but when I hear men talk about imposter syndrome, uh, or people who, um, gender identify as men, um, I hear them say that they basically are like, yeah. And I just walk myself through the worst scenario and then I'm fine with women. I hear them say like, when I stopped, when I start, I start, I started combating imposter, imposter syndrome when I saw, when I started telling that negative voice, no, that shoulder devil, no. And then also I got out of my own way and I did something authentic for me. And that, and started living my life authentically. That is when it stopped. And I mean, obviously it still happens for me. I have a podcast about imposter syndrome. So clearly I still, still suffer from it. It just doesn't drive the car anymore for me. It's just, it's part of it. um, But it doesn't drive everything in my life anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the tool I've learned actually is to, you said, you know, tell the shoulder demon, no, 
to actually say to tell the shoulder demon, or I, I call mine the mad woman in the attic. <laughs> um, I, you know, I say, thank you. Like you did your job. Okay. Like I know your job is to hang out and protect me. Like you are the part of my biology that is going danger, danger, red alert. Like, like yeah. you are about to do something that may cause you perceived or real pain. So I yeah. go, thank you. Thank you for doing your job, the job that you were planted in my brain to do, but I've got this. Like I'm ultimately in control. I'm ultimately going to make the choice. And, and, and you move, you move through it and some are easier than others to move through. Um, it's actually funny that we're talking about Disney. Cause I think it was a book I read about burnout. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm going to blank on who wrote it, but it's on my bookshelf. And they said to like, actually like, you know, name your demon, pick a character. And for whatever reason, I wound up like on a Disney character and like, I think the mad woman in my attic is, is Merida a little bit like this fiery Irish redhead who just wants ah! to do everything and for all the rules. And she's like, that's funny. You know, I love um, that. That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, um, I've done a lot of work in therapy. Thank, thank, I'm very thankful for my therapist. I'm very thankful that TRICARE, um, I'm on TRICARE Select pays for therapy once a week yeah. because I've needed it. But I've learned so much about myself and my inner workings and and my life and, and so much. I have so much positivity to say about like, you know, I'm, I'm just really glad we're normalizing mental health. But I feel like yeah. imposter syndrome like just feels like such scary words to people. And uh, I people who say that they've never felt it in their life are, are lying. I mean, we've always felt it. You mm -hmm. walk into a room and I guess, you know, to keep on the gender thing, and I'm sorry to my listeners, it's been a long time since I've really talked uh, talked about women's rights and equality. And, I, and, and for that, I apologize because I think when I first started my podcast, I was much more man-hating. <laughs> And now I'm, I'm, I can see the coin from both sides, but when we're talking in this, in this frame of reference, um, I've just, I don't know. I felt like, I, f I felt like in the last year, we've been like really trying to understand um, what makes us tick and we've got all this time and new hobbies and creativity and how to do things. But I feel like as a woman, when I've walked into a room, um, I look around, and I'm like, oh, I don't belong here. Like, uh, take a spouse, yeah. take a spouse of in, for instance. Yep. I hate them so much. I hate going to them. I hate participating. It's really weird that I'm on my ship's readiness group because honestly, I don't know. I just, I feel uncomfortable. I, I feel, I, I always feel like the weird spouse. I never really fit in growing up. And so I always feel weird and I know I'm not, but I go into a room and I'm even a wardroom spouse, meaning I'm an officer spouse. So like I, if I go to a wardroom event, I'm like, gosh, I don't belong here. Like, and I've been married for four years and I've gone to these things and I just, uh, I just still feel yeah. like I, I just still feel like I sit, sit out like a th sore thumb and that's imposter syndrome. Of course I belong there. Yeah. Of course yeah. everyone does like <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, but, but that kind of feeling, it drives women a lot more than it drives men. Um, because yeah. like you said, you, you, they can be 60% qualified for a job and have 100% confidence when they are applying. A woman can be 100% qualified for the job and not get it. Yeah. Yep. And be sitting in an interview with 50% confidence still going. Yep, exactly. I, is this, you know, can I, should I? <laughs> yeah, All absolutely. So let's shift gears and talk about success. Cause I feel like, okay. So having it all figured out, um, successes and failures and all of this, it shrouds into imposter syndrome. So what does success look like to you? And do you feel successful? Yeah. I mean, this is such a great question. Um, it does go back to like almost kind of when you ask, like, do you feel like you have it all figured out? 
I think there are moments when I allow myself to like look around and, and I have built a practice in the last few years, actually, I'm like looking, I have a big giant board on the wall next to my desk, a cork board. And I've built a practice now of when somebody says something nice to me or sends me a nice email or, or recognizes, um, you know, work of mine that really had an impact on them. I try and write it down and pin it on the board. Um, and I think that's because I was spending so much time thinking I wasn't successful. Um, and, and look, like, you know, following my husband's career around for 10 years definitely, definitely played into that. I could see the, like, the steps, the natural mm -hmm. steps and the trajectory mm -hmm. and the growth for him. Whereas I felt like every couple of years I was starting over. And it took me a long time to get to that mentality we talked about earlier, right. where I actually realized the starting over, that impermanence made me um, that much better of an employee because now when I take a job, I sit down and I go, what can I accomplish in two years? As opposed to going new job, I guess I gotta like take my time, get used to the place, figure it out. I'm like very focused when I get there. But um, so, you know, success, I go back and forth. Am I successful? Yes, ultimately now I sit here and I know I have to tell myself yes, because it does help combat the imposter syndrome. It does help me be more confident in spaces and you know, the, the thing absolutely that the book taught me time and time again, there's stories from around the world that when you put more women in the rooms where decisions are being made, things get better for humanity. Like we, we are, we behave differently philanthropically. We behave differently when making policy decisions. We behave, we spend money differently. All of these things help like lift up children, lift up the rest of our families, truly make entire communities better. And so, you know, I, I do sit here and say like, yes, I'm successful because it helps give me that confidence to be like, I belong in this room. My voice belongs in this room. What I think and what I say belongs in this room because I know when more of us have that confidence and put ourselves in those rooms, the world will legitimately improve. Um, yeah. So yeah. yes, I'm successful, but I have to cheat. Sometimes I have to look at the wall and read, read it through the eyes and words of other people to, to keep that practice up. Yeah, no, I love that answer. Um, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I, you know, I say people can, everyone answers it differently. Um, so uh, I, I love that. And I like that you think big picture because I think that that's always good. And I like to think big picture too. Like right now, currently I feel successful. Um, I feel successful in getting this, the move, this O'Connor's move done. I mean, I feel successful in the fact that I didn't really feel like an adult before I was, my husband started leaving all the time. Now yeah. I can solve anything in two clicks and a shake. And I, I, I feel confident. A year ago, I didn't feel confident making phone calls or going to a doctor or setting things up. And now I'm like, oh, shoot, let me call them. Yeah. Uh, so I feel successful in that regard. I also feel successful um, within, you know, my spousal uh, role uh, as a military spouse. I feel, I've, and the things I've taken on, um, whether it's been volunteering, whether it's been, um, whether it's been advocating, whether it's been for the FRG or whether it's been within the wardrobe, I feel quite successful there. I also feel successful as I've raised this dog. He's not dead. I didn't kill. I didn't kill the trees that my husband stupidly planted as saplings. He's going to yep. start listening to my podcast, and he's just going to realize that I roast him every single episode. I'm so <laughs> sorry, Scott. Um, but I, I feel successful there. You know, I'm just. I, in terms of all of this, it's, it's, it's. I take a step back and I feel proud of myself that this, this pandemic deployment did not break me, and it's yeah. made my marriage stronger. I feel successful as a wife. 
And then I feel medium successful as a content creator. But overall, I think like um, for me, success looks like just being happy and content um, and always, you know, being a good person. I don't set resolutions. I set intentions. So I always intend to be a good person and continue to, you know, do good by the people that are in my life. And, and so, yeah. And as an ally, I feel quite successful as well. So I loved your answer and I appreciate it. So I think we've yeah, touched. Well, yeah. Well, I would love to just throw and reflect back on you. Like what I hear is also a person who like really values keeping a sense of self mm-hmm. in a system and a culture that doesn't always value a sense of self from spouses. Like they would much rather you roll up and move happily and support all the things because that's when, you know, the, the active duty service person can really be at their best. So I would say you're successful in carving out and, and keeping your sense of self just in us talking us. Oh, thank you. No, I really appreciate that. (laughs) When the deck is stacked against it. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because, uh, a lot of, okay. So if we're going back to the military spouse thing, before we hop into fanatics and popular, unpopular opinions, uh, a lot of military spouses think that what they say can hurt a husband's or, or spouses, or it doesn't even have to be a husband. I don't even want to make, put gender specifics on it, can hurt their career. And it is true. Certain things can, whether they're operational security or OPSEC, PERSEC, et cetera. Um, however, um, you know, Scott, I, I, so we had a really huge accident that happened. Um, my husband is attached to the 15th MEU. We had a very deadly accident, one of the deadliest Marine accidents with AAVs um, this last year. And it was a very, very difficult thing that I went through, um, my friend JC, who is here right now, went through, and my husband went through, and all of his sailors. Um, and while they were not, none of the people attached to the Macon Island that he was on died, it still was a very, very difficult situation. And I have been careful about how I've talked about it until it got debriefed. And now I can talk about it. Um, just been very careful with what I've said. I, I basically have only been talking about things in media and I'm, and I'm very careful, but I told Scott, you know, I don't want to say things that are ill of this command or whatever. I don't want to say the wrong thing about things that are happening. Um, and when this releases, um, he'll be out of the command so I can say what I want. Um, however, I he told me something very powerful. So if I have any military spouses listening, because I've said this on quite a few different military spouses uh, podcasts, is that what I say, I'm a civilian and what the military does not control me or what I say or what I do. And the military controls him and what he says and what he does. Mm-hmm. So and having that power as a content creator, someone who puts their voice out there and someone who is loud, which is not the typical normal spouse thing. And let's just touch on that for a second. Fuck that notion of a normal spouse because everyone's different. Okay. So I, so I'm, so I'm very loud and I'm out there and I've had spouses come to me and they say, you're just so like, I could never, it's like, who told you you couldn't, Yeah. who told you you couldn't. So I have taken that and ran with it and I am appreciative of it and I've used my voice for good and I try my best to be as positive as I absolutely can. Um, and so, yes, I feel, you know, I feel good about kind of what, what, how I'm using it um, and being intentional with it, of course. Um, so, yeah, I mean, thanks. So thank you again. <laughs> I just appreciate that. Yeah. 
Yeah, so let's um, throw the uh, the elephant in the room aside, say sachet away, Shantae, you stay. Let's, uh, what's one or a few things you're fanatical about and why? I will go first because tomorrow I'm going to Disneyland. I'm so obsessed with Disney. My <laughs> listeners know this. I'm so excited. I won't be able to contain my excitement. I'm going alone, but I am less than 24 hours away from holding a Main Street corn dog in my hand. I've dreamed about you, baby, for a year. <laughs> anyway what are you fanatical about <laughs> oh my goodness I don't know how to follow that I'm like thinking like I need to expand my horizons I mean seriously right now I'm fanatical about like getting my second vaccine shot so that yeah. I don't know I can when like, was your first um I guess it will be two weeks ago yesterday or two weeks ago okay so you've tomorrow. got probably one week to go if it's Minterna. I do yeah that one okay. week to go and then you know I'm still gonna like try and be good for a couple of weeks after they say when it's like fully settled in I live just outside of Washington DC so yeah. like really populous people everywhere we've made it this far I don't want to like same I'm like I'm like this is not a reason for me to go buck wild I still feel wildly uncomfortable in crowds and I used to be the yeah. biggest extrovert so I and then like the CDC said you don't have to wear your masks anymore if you're fully vaccinated I was like mm, I'm still gonna wear my mask because I have a resting yeah. bitch face like I no, I'm wearing yeah. my mask um so I think a lot of those standards because I know the pandemic is far from over especially with the mutating in India and it, really your vaccine is only really keeping hospital beds sick clear yeah. and you can still pass it to people. It's still transmissible, but it's a lot less transmissible vaccinated to vaccinated. So yeah. um, there's lots of studies on it and stuff. And so I love that. Um, I hope that you don't have any adverse side effects. The worst thing that happened to me, the second dose was I had um, muscle fatigue um, mm. or not muscle fatigue, but like muscle soreness where I'd had a surgery. Yeah. Um, but, and then other than that, the first one was worse for me than the second one. I was way tired on the first one. I had a rash okay. though. And that's benign if you get one. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I just felt like tired and a little weird after the first one, but I also am like not great with shots and needles. So it's sort of normal for me, but um, I've heard a lot of people tell me now, I actually had one woman tell me, she's like, um, she's like, I felt like I was high. She's like, I feel like used to smoke a ton of pot in college. And she's like, I felt like I started smoking pot again. And yeah. I was like, well, where do I get one of those shots? But um, <laughs> So, so yeah, we'll see. I'm just, but I am fanatical about that because it does feel it, you know, I think it maybe like shaves off a little layer of fear and means I can enjoy a little bit more of summer this year, go sit outside and have a drink. And, and honestly, actually what I'm fanatical about, I've been keeping like a short list of like people I can't wait to see, like people mm -hmm. I want to spend time oh, with I love that. on the other side of this. And so I'm excited to be like, it's summer. Like, I'm going to start calling up the list. Are you vaccinated? Yes. I'm vaccinated. Like, yes. let's go. Let's see each other. And, you know, yeah. I, I yeah. ran into a girlfriend at the grocery store and just like, we hugged. And I was like, I know. Isn't that the weirdest thing? You. It is. Yeah. I told, I told my husband. I'm yeah. about hugs yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> hugs coming back. Well, and so uh, I don't know what it's going to look like for homecoming, um, but the base my, the base we're attached to, which is 32nd street. They're just, they're, they're repealing a lot of things. And what it used to be, so my listeners know a, a homecoming used to be, there's a billion people on the pier. There's a ticketed system of who gets off when you have like the big kiss homecoming, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then we, I've been under the notion that like, no, like Corona, she don't, I'm picking them up like McNuggets from the turnstile. I'm not allowed out of my car. I've been told I'm all, I have all this restriction. And now the base is being like, like, so for instance, my friend JC, who just got here yesterday, who drove across the country, they're like, 
are you vaccinated? She's like, well, I'm half vaccinated. And they're like, ah, good enough. Don't, you don't have to run. No, 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 wow. no restriction of movement. That's fine. And so the base is now saying that like a certain amount of people can be on the pier um, for homecoming. And I'm like, I did not prepare for this. Although I have a dress and it, the dress has my husband's cruise book photo on it because it's ridiculous. Um, my dog's face and like little tiny LHD ships. And it's a Hawaii pattern because I'm ridiculous. Right. I'm ridiculous as a person. And I think it's funny. My, my, my friend who created all my merchandise, she made me this dress and it's printed. And I was thinking like, I don't, I'm going to look real stupid. Look real dumb, but uh, hey, that's but, syndrome but to go, up. but to go, oh yeah, I, I do things that are hilarious all the time. But to but to go to um, you know, kissing and hugging and all of that, mm -hmm. I haven't kissed anyone in months. I I don't even know. Like I, I got to the point when I gave a hug that I was like, this feels weird. It feels nice. Yeah. It's weird. And so I'm like thinking about it, and I'm like, do I even know how to do any of these things anymore? Do I know how to like? sleep in a bed with someone anymore like do I don't know anything anymore because I was alone for so long as well as um I when the virus started mutating I stayed home and I didn't really want to like go places it couldn't get delivered to me because I thought to myself I'm one of one and if I get it I don't Scott can't come home to me I don't think um, and so, uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm fanatical about perhaps having the homecoming I thought I was going to have versus the one that they were going to force us to have. So that would be nice. I would really hope so, but who knows? Yeah. To be flexible. And at the end of it, it all ends the same way. Like you driving out of that parking lot with your spouse back in the car. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about unpopular opinions. Um, I always say as long as they are not, and I know that they're not going to be with you, especially uh, as long as they are not hurtful to others, they are fine, e.g. racist. Uh, I always say, or, or homophobic or just mean in general, just, just a gross comment. But I, I always say cantaloupe is trash, filler, filler fruit, um, and uh, don't like it. Um, but my unpopular opinion right now is that the pandemic isn't over because you had a vaccine. Yeah. No, it's still happening. Yeah. Anyway, what's yours? <laughs> um, I think coffee's gross. <laughs> it is. It doesn't taste, well, especially Starbucks coffee. Starbucks coffee always tastes burnt. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's I, not, yeah. I, um, I don't drink coffee at all. I never got into it. I just don't like the way it tastes. And I feel like whenever I tell grown ass adults that I don't drink coffee, they're like, how, how have you made it this far? And I'm like, I don't know. It just doesn't taste good. And if it doesn't taste good, then I don't, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't hate that opinion because I also, I know, I know so many people that don't drink coffee and a lot of it's because of caffeine sensitivity. A lot of it's because they just don't like the taste. I think it's pretty normal. I, people come coming for you about coffee. They sound like they're very weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I guess I spend a lot of time around like parents. So maybe that's part of it. They're like, how do you survive? Yeah. <laughs> How do you survive the annoying humans under your roof without a jolt of caffeine? And I'm like, I don't know, I just do. <laughs> There's a lot of things I can handle without caffeine, I'll be honest. <laughs> so, exactly. yeah. Exactly. So I, I know that it's been a tough year for, for everyone and we've all handled the pandemic differently. So what's currently making you happy in the world? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, well, I'm really excited actually about, um, you know, the direction that things are moving. I think for as painful as the coronavirus and the pandemic pause was, it cracked open a lot of things that we weren't talking about, that we weren't looking at, that we should be talking about and we should be looking at. So I recognize it's a super painful period to like be in the turmoil of it, but 
you know, I do look back and go, would we be having so many of the conversations and policy discussions and um, all of this stuff happening had we um, had the pandemic never happened? If we were, if we were just continuing to skate along at our 400 mile per hour lifestyle, um, you know, would we be talking about a lot of these hard things and, and hopefully creating the change that needs to be created? So I'm excited. I, mm -hmm. I, I appreciate the pain and I empathize with people who are in the middle of it doing really hard and amazing work. Um, but I think that this could turn out to be a period of tremendous growth, um, you know, for our culture, for society, which is really exciting to me. Awesome. Yeah, no, I love that. And um, I think that is really sage advice given the times. And um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, amazing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I very much appreciate this conversation. I, I feel like it's going to give my listeners a lot, a lot of insights and all of that. And I love to give my guests the opportunity to promote whatever they would like. And so I, again, thank you so much for your flexibility and your time today. So what would you like to promote? Yeah. Well, I would love for folks to check out my book, um, my, my labor of love. I call it my DIY distance learning assignment <laughs> for 2020. Um, it's again, it's called How to Make the Matriarchy, the Power and Promise of Prioritizing Women. Um, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can probably get it at your local bookstore if you ask them to order a copy of it. So um, I would love that. And audiobooks should be coming out soon if that is your preferred method of digesting. Um, and it's going to be read by me. So um, I've had so many of my close friends who know me who have read the book who are like, I can hear your voice. You know, I can hear your voice when I read this. And I'm like, well, now everybody will <laughs> get to hear my voice. Um, but it's been really fun to, to record an audiobook. So that'll be out there soon too. And then, um, you know, my professional life, I focus on, as I mentioned, coaching and consulting for change makers. So I love working with women who are trying to break into leadership or who are yeah. trying to survive while they're there through, through coaching. But, um, you know, also working with people who are interested in figuring out how they can be more active allies and exploring there and being vulnerable there and creating that safe space for that hard work. Um, that, that's, that's what I do in my day job. So check me out at candorandcompany.com for that. Yeah, I love that. And um, of course, to my listeners, uh, you know where that's all going to be. It's going to be in the description. So I'll have the link so you can get in touch and, you know, reach out to Maureen. If, if this book, you know, sounds interesting to you, definitely read it. I know I definitely am interested in it. So that's exciting. And yeah, all of the information for how to contact her will be there. And to Maureen, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Please Don't Kick Me Out, the podcast about imposter syndrome. Um, if you like what you hear to my listeners, if you're coming from Maureen's audience, or if you're just, you know, popping on through, uh, you can go to pleasedon'tkickmeout.com. We have merchandise. You can go to pleasedon'tkickmeout.com backslash shop. And you can get some of this 90s merchandise that I have been mentioning week over week on the pod. Um, it is great. Thank, uh, thank you, Laura and Gra uh, Yay Graphic Design for designing that. And if you would like to be a guest, please drop me a line. Again, I'm currently at the time of recording this dark on interviews, um, which is funny because I'm recording one right now. But again, thank you so much. If you like what you hear, please rate me a five on Apple Podcasts. That means a lot to me. Um, and thank you again, Maureen. And I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. Yeah, Bianca, all the pleasure was mine this afternoon. So thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Have a great one. <laughs> Bye. Thank you.
Hey listeners, I wanted to share a special promotion for you from Dash of Pep. Dash of Pep is a clothing boutique that offers non-binary clothing that has fun prints that support mental health and empowering you to be your best self. In this pandemic, it is great to shop small and support small businesses like Dash of Pep. More than 50% of my wardrobe is from her adorable store. Robin at Dash of Pep has graciously given me a promo code for you to use at checkout. Use P-D-K-M-O to receive 15% off your order. Again, that is www.dash of pep.com and you can enter p-d-k-m-o at checkout to receive 15% off your order. This has been Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, like, comment, share, tell a friend. You know, that's how I'm going to keep these stories going. Also, if you want to be a podcast guest, you can reach out to me at pdkmopodcast at gmail.com and we can get it set up. Thanks everyone for your continued support. And I look forward to, you know, connecting with you again next Monday.